Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by Sastrify. After years of growth at all costs, it's now all about efficiency. All CTOs who feel they are spending too much time and money on their tech stack should pay attention now. Sastrify, an established partner of the Alphalist CTO community, is the automated SaaS procurement solution for IT and finance teams. Sastrify's procurement experts centralize and automate the management of your SaaS subscriptions and can reduce your SaaS spend by up to 35% as well as save you up to 20 man hours per month. Minimal effort for you. Sastrify negotiates the best terms with SaaS vendors like Miro, Asana or Salesforce for existing contracts as well as for upcoming renewals. At OMR, we have already used Sastrify ourselves to significantly reduce the cost and complexity of our tech stack. Leading companies like Westwing, Adidas Rantastic and Sender are also using Sastrify to solve their procurement challenges and rapidly grow their runways. Meet the Sastrify team at the OMA Festival, stop by at their booth in the Finance Forward area or email to learn more at sastrify.com to schedule a meeting. For case studies, further information on how Sastrify works, visit www.sastrify.com slash alphalist. Welcome to the Alphalist Podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today with me is Sean Wang, um, who's who, who's also, or can be found by the nickname Swix on the internet. Uh, so Swix.io is his blog and, and, and personal website. Um, so Sean, you, you seem to be kind of a, a, a jack of all trades in, in software engineering, DevRels. Um, you, you advise a lot, you invest a lot. Um, is that a good description for yourself? Like, can you, can you pitch yourself maybe a little? <laughs> uh, right now, the way I talk about myself is that I work in developer relations uh, and developer community focused on dev tooling and dev infrastructure startups. So dev, dev, dev. And uh, that's basically come out of my background uh, working on or being head of developer experience uh, at three unicorns, which is uh, Netlify, Temporo, and Airbyte, and then also working in uh, the same role at AWS. Um, I've also been a keep uh, 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 a lot done a lot of community works in the React and JavaScript communities, uh, as well as started uh, my own uh, community for Svelte Society from zero to about sixteen thousand people right now. And I run uh, I started. Um, in angel investing in developer tool startups about four years ago, and I have a small community for that one. So that's about what I do. I also write a, write and blog a little bit. Okay, so so you have a community for your personal investments? 
or how does that yes. look like? Yes, because basically you don't really want to talk about money on Twitter that much. Um, and you need a space for, let's say everyone is like your sort of group friend group that is also interested in investing in startups. You need a space to share your deals and stuff. So I just started a Discord uh, two years ago and it's grown to about 600 people now. Um, and it's small, you know, it's not, it's not one of the biggest discords out there, but we talk about trends in technology and uh, what we think about certain deals and startups. Well, who has 600 trends? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot from my perspective. So, it's just, uh, so, so there's a, there's a, it's, there's two gates. Like one is like uh, the public side and then one is the sort of verified investor. So you have to be a qualified investor in the US, uh, you know, with uh, net income or, uh, uh, total assets above above a certain amount, and then you have to be referred by someone in our group anyway. So it's one of these like it's basically a quasi syndicate. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, before you tell us more about your investment, so today uh, we're here to talk about next level AI and infrastructure because like I I, I saw like some of your stuff. I mean, yeah. obviously you, you're deep in infrastructure, but also yet like you recently um, did a few podcasts and 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 blog posts around um, GPT in particular. Um, and AI in general, um, and it's kind of kind of scary. We 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 both thought it, it makes sense to to maybe discuss it a bit deeper. It's, it's not only scary; it's 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 great, right? <laughs> I don't know how you see it personally. Um, um, yeah, maybe we start with that. Like, what what do you think about it? What do I think about it? I think it is the uh, the biggest change in technology, at least since the iPhone. Um, and probably it's going to be bigger than the iPhone. If you read Bill Gates' blog, he and Bill Gates has been around technology for, I don't know, 60, 70 years, and he was like, there's, there's been only one other time that has been as big for me in, in his recollection, which is when he was at Xerox Park and he saw the graphical user interface. There's been nothing else in the past 50 years that has been as big. Uh, as the proliferation of AI right now. Um, so Bill Gates thinks it's a big deal. Uh, you should probably take it seriously. Well, well he's he's invested big time, right? Um, yes. Maybe, maybe uh, that's also like part he doesn't of need his more excitement. Money, but yes, yes, he does yeah. have a vested interest, but he also, at this point, you know, near the end of his life, he like there's nothing in it except that his genuine curiosity. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I also believe him. I mean, he's kind of a, a very likely guy you, you, you automatically trust, trust uh, when, when, when he sends a blog post, right? It's, it's like, would be, would be strange to distrust yeah. him in that. Well, um, you know, uh, there's some people who don't like him that let's say a lot of his charity work is, uh, is just PR. Um, yeah. But again, you know, um, when, he when he talks about technology, take him seriously. And then when he talks about curing malaria or something, you know, that's a, that's a different topic. But when it comes to technology, he's an expert. Well, he was wrong once uh, when when he, he told people that uh, no computer will ever need more than 640 kilobytes in RAM, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was not correct. But yes. I, I think that's a that's, uh, long, long time ago. Um, but, but back to you, like, how, how scared are you of GPT? Not scared are you all. scared? <laughs> yeah. I'm scared of irresponsible developers unleashing this to a world that is not ready for it. Uh, in the same way that you would not run untrusted user input on your database, you would not run untrusted input on your terminal with a pseudo command. 
we should not be connecting GPT to the outside world that is completely unsupervised. Uh, that is the problem, and that is currently what people are doing right now with two projects, AutoGPT and Baby AGI. This is literally keep the GPT running in the background, give it a goal, and then just let it do whatever it wants, and you don't even have to watch it. Uh, these projects have gotten something like 20,000 stars in two, the past two weeks, and mm-hmm. they're very dangerous because mm-hmm. it normalizes the idea that we can just do this without supervision. It is safe enough, and we are clearly not there yet. Mm. Uh, so apart from that, I think it's fine. <laughs> I think it helps us in our da- in our daily jobs. Uh, you know, something like forty percent of code, new code written right now, is generated by GitHub Copilot, and also it reduces a lot of mundane labor. Uh, the way I think about it is, you want to think about the changes in capability in two fashions. One is it raises, sorry, it lowers the bar for people to enter into some kind of industry or sometimes mm-hmm. do some kind of task, right? Mm-hmm. So I am not a very good Python programmer, but now with ChatGPT, I can figure out most anything I want in Python because I know mm-hmm. how to describe what I want and it tells me mm-hmm. what I want mm-hmm. and I can roughly reset syntax. So it lowers the bar for me for figuring out all those Python idiosyncrasies and you know, the libraries that I may need to pull in. The other thing they might do is raise the ceiling Right? So if you're already a very, very super proficient Python developer, how can it help you by automating away some of the boilerplates uh, that, that you would normally spend a lot of your time doing, but now your time is freed up? Right? The way I also think about it is that everybody just got a free junior engineer. And I think that is a, a good approach to do that. Uh, and because, especially because you're from Europe and a lot, I guess for the European people in the audience, um, I do think there's one thing to be afraid of, which is privacy and security. Right, mm. uh, something like eleven percent of developers right now are pasting your source code into ChatGPT and just giving it to OpenAI. I think that is not a big deal. OpenAI doesn't care about your code; it really doesn't. Without mm. context, like one hundred lines of code, I don't care. Right? Mm. If you talk about sending one hundred thousand lines of code, yes, I care. Okay, but if it's a if it's hundred lines of code, no one cares. Your your code is not that special. Come on, right? Get over yourself. But there are a lot of privacy-conscious CTOs that worry about that sort of thing, right? And that's that's your right. I just disagree. Yeah, yeah. In in terms of like at least boilerplate code, right? Uh, and There's and, so and much like ninety percent ninety percent of code is boilerplate, so yes. we we all know that. Yeah. Um, I think so, I think by the way, it also encourages good coding practices. Um, yeah. I don't know how much time you want to spend on coding stuff versus infrastructure or startups or anything like that. I can go, I can go wherever you want. No, uh, no, but just a brief comment. Yeah. Um, I have never really done uh, so much commenting as I do when I write with, with uh, GitHub Copilot. Yeah. Because right now, I will, to, in order to generate uh, a first pass, I will write the comment for the function that I want to implement and then see what Copilot gives me. Right. If it gives me something good, I'll take it. If it if it's crap, I'll discard it, right? But at least it lets me think about what I'm trying to do and force me, forces me to write it down in the comments. And I do end up with much better commented code. And then after I'm done with the implementation, I can actually generate a test for it. Uh, and that's something that is not common right now, but it will become increasingly common. And GitHub Copilot X, which is the new extension to GitHub Copilot that was uh, announced a few days ago, uh, is promising to do that. You know, we'll see if it if it actually is good at that. We we don't know, right? And mm-hmm. very much so, you have to judge these things based on how you judge things when the V1 comes out, right? The V1 of the iPhone was not that good, 
V3 of the iPhone was a little bit better. V10, V14 was extremely good. Mm -hmm. So you should look at it the same way, right? Like you'll laugh at Copilot now. You know, it generates a lot of bad code. Yes, it generates insecure code. Yes, uh, it will get better every single year. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the steps will just become smaller, right? Uh, I mean, in, incrementally, uh, improve, um, and, and not in like huge steps, I guess. Um, and, and, and that's the crazy thing right now that, um, if, if you look in, into the world, like even things like auto GPT and, and stuff, like every day something crazy comes out where you just think, Or I just think, okay, like how can I keep track of this, and how um, can 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 I can can I can I learn to use all of that, and and what what should I look at, what 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 uh, what shouldn't I? Like, do, do you have any any practice on or best practice on 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 how you like deal with it, like when you decide like what what to what what to learn and what what to abandon? Ah. Um, I'm a bit more extreme than others because I have been very influenced by Jeff Bezos. You know, uh, I am a former, my first career was in finance. Uh, Jeff Bezos used to work in finance and I, I worked at a hedge fund. He worked at a hedge fund. Uh, when he saw the internet growing at 23,000% in 1994, he dropped everything. He quit his job uh, as, <laughs> as the first VP of technology at uh, DE Shaw to drive to Seattle and start Amazon. Uh, and I think you're seeing that kind of growth now. Uh, there's mm -hmm. been about 1,000% growth in ChatGPT usage since January, uh, and we're currently recording this in early April. And so annualized, it, it, is, uh, it is faster than the internet growth um, in 1994. So there's some point at which you should re-examine why you are doing what you're doing right now. And if the assumptions have changed, or if there's more opportunity elsewhere, you are allowed to drop everything. People will not judge you or you should not care what they think if you, if you are being judged. That said, uh, we still need people to do <laughs> good work. <laughs> so absolutely stay where you are um, and, and figure out how to incorporate it into your jobs, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think mm -hmm. uh, that, that's part of what I would like to try to help people figure out as well, which is how do you incrementally help? And I, I really like the way that GitHub Copilot did it, right? When GitHub implemented Copilot, it took six months to figure out the UI, which is an autocomplete style thing. Why is it autocomplete? Why is it not a separate chat window? Uh, that's because they wanted it to plug into your existing workflow. It should be no additional lift to you. Um, AI should just be present to help you and get out of your way if it's not helping you. In the same way that Google has kind of perfected the autocomplete for uh, Gmail, um, and it, and it try to, tries to guess what you want when you sort of type in, in Google search. I think that's the way it needs to be unintrusive for most people. And then if you want to take advantage of AI agents, if you want to take advantage of the emerging frameworks that are, uh, created with, uh, prompts in, in GPT, you can do all of that. You can keep up with model research. You know, there's, there's nonstop full-time ML researchers feel overwhelmed with the amount of progress that's going on. So you should not feel guilty that there's just so much going on and you're not on top of it. Don't worry, even the people whose job it is to keep on top of it cannot keep up with it. Um, so I think it's okay. Like focus on the problems that you would like to solve, see what's available out there. If it's not good enough, then just wait. <laughs> wait a year and then come back again next year. Okay, so 
I, I don't know how, how how much you you personally are able to look into the future um, or or at least guess the future from what is happening right now. Yeah. Um, but how do you think this will change engineering in, in total in, let's say, the next 10 years? Like, a few wow. people really have, like, dark <laughs> predictions um, that, like, uh, engineering will yeah. essentially disappear yeah, in three job. years, right? No, yeah. no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but, but uh, like, I, I also don't don't believe in that because, like, um, when I when I used, like, ChatGPT, It, it it spits out very useful code and uh, like sometimes much cleaner than my personal one. Um, yeah. But still, I have to understand it in a way at least. Um, and and um, if I don't, then I'm busted, right? It doesn't work. Um, yeah. You, you think so, that's that's the root of of, <laughs> of everything then, or like yeah, so, will so, it continue yeah. like that? I'll, I'll take an analogy for for everyone listening, right? Um, Deep Blue essentially beat. Gary Kasparov, the best human chess player in the world in 1998, has interest in chess increased or decreased since then? It's increased. Increased. Um, uh, it's, you know, Stockfish, now everyone can run Stockfish, which is the premier chess engine, and they actually use it to improve their game. And so now the best chess players are the ones that use AI to help them improve themselves. And mm. there's still a lot of interest in watching humans play humans, even though we mm. know all of them are completely outclassed by a consumer AI running on your phone, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So that's chess. Uh, same for Go, same for poker. All of these have been essentially solved. Same for StarCraft, same for um, I, I, whatever, whatever other domain that you can think about. Um, and I think that is the, that's going to be the case for programmers and, and you know, CTOs, which is that Uh, the, the boring, basic, solvable stuff will be solved, but there is still a frontier of uh, capability that we can always strive towards. Uh, you know, the, the standards are always increasing and there's an ever higher levels of abstraction that we can work at uh, such that when we have a clean abstraction where that AI can take care of, then we don't worry about it, about, about it anymore and we can sort of progress to the next stage, right? You can think of operating systems and databases as a very primitive form of AI. How often do we have to go down to those levels of extractions? Not mm. very often, right? Because mm. it's, mm. it's handled by someone else. Um, and I think basically what this is, is it starts in, you know, in, intruding into business logic, right? Um, you can see examples like Marvin AI um, and any sort of, any of the sort of text to SQL uh, capabilities where you sort of tell the AI like what this endpoint is supposed to do and it just does it. You don't have to implement any of the, the mm, implementation mm. detail. And mm. I think that is the way that these things go uh, because it's junior engineering work. It's still not going to do architecture well, at least not for a while. Um, and it just doesn't have enough data points to handle large systems. Um, and so the more into the boundary, into the frontier you go, the less data points it has and therefore uh, there's still need you still need humans to independently figure things out. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of concrete predictions, I do think that the worst developers should feel threatened because they were not producing much value anyway. Mm -hmm. And either they level up or they change careers. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's up to them to decide. The best developers will be 10 times more productive and they will probably make a lot more money because they can use AI effectively in their jobs to be a lot more productive than they Than they were before, right? You should see that, for example, startups reach uh, a, a lot, a, the same set of revenue with a lot fewer employees because they are mm. able to 
essentially employ AI employees to, to do what they're doing. But you have to be a very good engineer in order to do, do that. And guess what? Engineers are the best people to figure this out because we know how to build systems. The rest of the economy who are not technical uh, will struggle behind. They're always five, six years behind because they're sort of, they have to wait for you to standardize everything and, and build nice user interfaces for everything before they try it out. You know, whereas we are, we're comfortable with API calls and terminal interfaces. Absolutely. Um, then, and one more thing, which is also just like boilerplate tra translation work means that actually, I think for people interested in programming languages and types and interfaces and standards, I think it means that there will be a thousand DSLs blooming because now the cost of adoption of DSL goes down to zero. Hmm. Um, so you can create a DSL and then uh, describe it enough such that uh, GPT understands it. And anyone using your DSL can just kind of describe what they want and get the appropriate DSL. So the, the learning curve has just gone down for anything custom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And thinking about like code and how we write code, do you think it, like in 10 years, it's just going to be like the next, 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 next version of Copilot? Or you think it, it will lead to us writing different languages like English or, <laughs> or yeah, German? Yeah, we're only writing English. Uh, uh, so yeah. Mitchell Hashimoto, you know, the, the creator of uh, HashiCorp yeah. and Terraform. Had him in the podcast here. <laughs> ah, okay, excellent. Um, you know, he commented about the ChatGPT plugins uh, API, which is not really an API. It's a JSON manifest that yeah. hits OpenAI. Uh, so, so it hits your OpenAPI spec, uh, gets a list of your routes, and then figures out what to do based on the name and the the documentation of the routes. Um, and the only thing that you program is in English, where you just tell the, where you, where you tell ChatGPT what your purpose of your plugin is and what you, it's capable of doing. So the hardest new programming language is English. That is what Andre Kapati, you know, has, has summed up, summed this up as, uh, and that is your, your backend. Uh, but you still obviously need to impl uh, do implementation detail and, uh, there's still a bit of stuff to do for programmers there. <laughs> okay. So you're absolutely positive on, 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 on how the world will look like tomorrow, or at least the engineering world. <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you can, you can go further, right? So the, uh, what I would say, you know, last year is sort of the, the year of large models. You know, you want ever, mm -hmm. ever larger models. But mm -hmm. I think that has kind of tapped out. Uh, you know, even OpenAI has stopped emphasizing the, the size of their models. Uh, it's rumored that GPT-4 is 1 trillion parameters but it's starting to get impractical and expensive and slow. And so I don't think people want to just add mod uh, parameters anymore. They're, they want to improve the data sets. They want to improve the way that we, ha uh, that we have architectures. Like um, there's quite a lot of smart people that I've talked to here in San Francisco who are saying that transformers are a passing thing. And you know, the, the next new AR architecture might be the hippos architecture or some, something else that uh, incorporates long context because right now transformers are quadratic in their context length. And that's very, um, not very performance. So there's all these sorts of debates about architecture uh, that will move on. Uh, but I think what was probably true for this year is that uh, multimodality is going to be more and more of a thing. So how do you blend vision and uh, text? How do you blend uh, audio and text? Um, and how do you generate text to video? You know, any, anything, any, any transitions in modality there. And, you know, if you saw the GPT-4 developer live stream, I, I, I would draw people's attention to Greg Brockman's demo about how he was able to draw a UI on a, with a pen and a piece of paper, piece of paper. and then, and then, yeah, took a photo of it. And then it, it was able to code it up, uh, in a, in a realistically looking UI. Um, that is not new. 
that has been done with, with some other domain-specific UI. But what is interesting is that this is general-purpose AI, right? Like so, in other words, it's just it's just capable of doing a lot more things, uh, and the the number of things that it does square is a, is a square. Its value is a square of the number of things that it does, right? Because it's, it's a typical Metcalfe's law type uh, scaling approach. Um, so there's just a lot of possibilities that are being opened up here that are still completely unexplored. Uh, next year, you know, I, I definitely think that there's there's a lot more emphasis on smaller models and model optimization, but that is a mm-hmm. production issue. Right now, we are in a expansion phase. We're trying to explore what is possible before optimizing, yeah, yeah. right? So we shouldn't get ca- too caught up in optimizing things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And next step... We can run it on Raspberry Pi, which already is is partly pos- possible, right? Um, with 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 uh, Llama and and so on. Um, yes, but and, have you looked at then, the, the quality of Llama, right? Like that, you have tr- you have real trade offs here. Right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And and some of the most interesting research out of coming out of Google is looking at the boundary conditions where intelligence emerges. You can it's not linear in the sense that something a model that is. smaller will be 50% as useful. Uh, It could be 5% as useful Mm -hmm. because the emergence Mm -hmm. appears in some kind of complex adaptive system fashion that we don't understand. Absolutely. But how do you think this will change the way our devices work at home? I mean, it's uh, like little detour. I don't know. Uh, IoT is one of those things that I... uh, conspicuously don't spend much time on because there's a lot of there's a lot more electrical engineering involved yeah. and I just don't have the background for it. Okay. I'm a um, software guy. Okay, okay. Um uh, then just one, one 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 or a few sentences on on the on the plugins that that are down the road um, and that were recently announced by by GPT or OpenAI. Um what do you think this will mean for devs and startups? Because it's like really big ecosystem that could be appearing there, right? That uh, could be a chance, like, I don't know, the iPhone app store uh, back then, right? Just yes. like way crazier as far as I see it. Like uh, for, for indie devs, SaaS developers and so on, what does this mean? Um, I think your productivity will be increased. I think there's a lot of opportunity in starting things up because you can move faster than the large companies, you know, I've been part of, I just left a 150 person startup where it took four months for us to start having AI strategy meetings. Uh, whereas you can pivot immediately and you don't have to get consensus on a, a certain point of view. You can just try things until something works, which mm-hmm. is what most of the startups now are doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is, which is great because uh, everyone is interested in something new every single day. And if you if your thing you know hits a nerve and takes off, then you have you have uh, taken advantage of your 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 small size to iterate faster than the big companies can. Yeah, I would be scared if I would run an AI startup that is like three years old um, and and, yes. and and now got hit by that. Right, that's really depressing from my perspective for for those. Right. Um, no, I think I think it's always you know the, only the paranoid survive. This is a very classic. Um, Intel uh, quote, I forget the, the founder, Andy Grove. Uh, that's the title of his book. And you know, either you disrupt yourself or you wait for someone else to do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nothing more to add. Um, and how do you think this will, I mean, you, you worked in infrastructure a lot. Um, how this will 
potentially influence how, how we how we think about infrastructure tomorrow. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's super interesting. Um, so, the, at the very very baseline, in our infrastructure tooling, we have very much over optimized for CPUs, and we are very optimized very much optimized for uh, large data centers with a few regions, which is fine. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the landscape and the, and the infrastructure needs might, might change quite a bit uh, based on uh, from here, right? Um, the, the nature of training, and you need to separate training and inference for AI. Most of us will be involved in just inference, which is just, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. just, just running the models instead of uh, training mm-hmm. them from scratch. Mm-hmm. Obviously, those are much lighter weight in terms of the infrastructure requirements, uh, but still, they need a lot of a lot more memory. They they need a lot more GPU, uh, and they need a lot more colocation uh, than the other stuff that we're used to. And we just don't have serverless GPUs worked out. It is very, 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 very cutting edge. I actually live with uh, uh, close to one of the, the founders that are that are doing it, Brev.dev, for people that are interested, as well as uh, Exafunction.com. Um, Serverless GPUs are not well figured out. Most GPUs are running at less than 50% of their utilization because we, we don't write good GPU code. Uh, we, we have the, the, the compilers that we have for JAX and uh, the other sort of uh, GPU languages are, are just not that great. And, and so a lot of people are doing this stuff in-house uh, and there aren't really any frameworks that have emerged to become the winners uh, there yet. Um, so that's the extent of my knowledge for serverless GPUs, but I know that the utilization is a problem. I know that supply is a problem as well. NVIDIA being a central chokehold. And by the way, China is next door to where we get most of our chips. And, you know, every day China is looking over and going, you know, that should be us. (laughs) Um, there's a, there's a, this gets geopolitical extremely quickly as well. Um, I do think that Europe has some other. Uh, advantages to it. Uh, Graph Core, you know, there are some other emerging GPU companies that are uh, exploring other kinds of architectures that, that could emerge. Uh, but by far, obviously, N- NVIDIA being like 30 years old um, has has run away with this market. Does that um, sometimes, yeah? So I'll, I'll comment a little bit on edge stuff. So um, so we talked a little bit about like the the, the highly concentrated nature of this. Um, and in fact, um, in there's a, there's a, High-level meeting notes between Rippling's co-founder and Sam Altman from OpenAI, where they basically observed that um, the main thing limiting the development of AI is just concentration of GPUs, and it turns out that training is an extremely concentrating force uh, in such in, in in a way that you need to essentially network um, hundreds and thousands of NVIDIA A100s together in in very close proximity to effectively em- emulate a giant mono, uh, monolith uh, framework computer. Um, and so you cannot like you you cannot limit yourself by speed of light. Everybody has to just just concentrate in, in, in one area. I think it's in Austin, Texas. Um, and I think I think that there's there'll there'll be a few centers like that. Uh, yesterday there was a, actually a petition for a CERN equivalent of AI training clusters in Europe as well. Uh, because that this is just what will have to happen. But still, you know, that that's that's on the training side. Uh, going back to inference, um, we have to think a lot about uh, more edge use cases because um, yeah, like uh, we, we have to deliver these models quickly. That people will want them hundreds of thousands of times a day rather than 
10 times a day. Mm-hmm. And when, when you have those order of magnitude improvement uh, changes in demand, um, then you need to bring things a lot closer to them because otherwise they would just not use it. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants a slow AI. So yeah, those are the infrastructural opportunities, I think, just, just at a high level. Uh, there's one infrastructure idea I'm working on as a, as a startup, um, but I'm not super ready to share that yet. And, and basically, I, I, I do want to work on the latency issue. And so you you think it's all edge computing and and, and less like central data centers? Um, it's, it's, I think it's everything will boom. This is the next <laughs> this is the next wave of infrastructure investment, and it will continue booming like it has boomed for the past I don't know forty fifty years, right? You okay. always find a new wave, but it, it continues booming in in different ways, right? So uh, yeah, it will just keep going. <laughs> any, any any concrete investment idea? Like where would you invest these days? Um, yeah, so I'm investing my own time in, in, in my startup idea. Um, I do also think that, uh, so the, the, the hottest startup that has emerged in this new phase is Langchain, which is a prompt uh, templating framework that has encoded the best practices of all the ways that we know how to build software with GPT so far. Um, And uh, I think it's a good idea. I don't know how they're going to monetize it because it's open source. And uh, honestly, it's a, it, it concatenates strings in, in smart ways. Uh, so, you know, string concatenation, uh, you can do it yourself. You don't need a framework to do that. And, you know, but some, some people will want it. But, but I, don't, I also don't think you're going to pay for it very much. Anyway, they, they're working on a marketplace. They're working on, you know, a bunch of other things. But uh, this is the classic startup challenge of how, how do you find a wedge that is very popular and then turn it into a... Uh, monetizable thing. Um, and then uh, the, other, the other investment that I have is in databases. So there's a new set of databases that are sort of AI native in the sense that they speak uh, embeddings, which are the, the sort of uh, internal assembly <laughs> or internal representations of, of, of data that uh, these uh, models use to, to rely on. Okay. And, and if you think about like the more mature businesses and how for example private equity works like if, if you were like a, a modern private equity company like where would you invest would you say like data centers is still way to go or like it's, it's like it, it will explode <laughs> or how do you think about no, that no i don't care about that kind of stuff um yes data, data centers <laughs> will structurally continue to grow right so yeah. if you're projecting like a slowdown in spends uh maybe you'll take like your 20 30 projections up by you know, five to 10 percentage points or whatever. Um, you know, that's just playing around with numbers on an Excel sheet. I'm, I'm not super interested by that. I used to be a financial analyst myself. Um, where I think private equity really adds value is having a central core of competence and then buying un, like poorly run businesses and then taking them over with some core competence that you have, right? Um, it's not just firing a lot of people, but it's also coming in and installing a playbook That is mm-hmm. essentially the roll-up. Um, I, I love the roll-up model. Uh, I think Constellation Software is, is the one that's in the US that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, and they have this giant operating manual that, that they just you know, install. They, they buy like 100 companies a year, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe even more than that. It's, um, it's crazy. Like no, Almost no one knows them, right? Um, I, no, I they're, they're pretty... No developer knows them, but as long yeah, as you're yeah. in tech and in investing, you, you've heard of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also because he's like the richest black uh, billionaire in, in the US. So I think that's a that's a that's a that's an achievement for sure. Um, but yeah, so develop a core competence in in how AI re- uh, runs operational, uh, you know, parts of the business more effectively, and then take over uh, 
businesses that are not leveraging them because your uh, ROI will be a lot higher. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> but coming back to back to tech and infrastructure, um, what does that mean for the classical orchestration frameworks? Will it just like continue? Will we just continue working with Kubernetes in the future, and will it just yeah? Um, will it just evolve um, and adopt to the those needs, or you I see anything crazy around? Uh, when you say when you say orchestration, other than Kubernetes, are you thinking about anything else? No, I don't have a particular okay. idea, but uh, because I have worked in orchestration, Temporal is an orchestration framework. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's not it's not it's not Kubernetes versus Nomad. It's Kubernetes versus Temporal versus like Dagster versus Prefect. Um, there's there's different ways to think about orchestration, and so I'm just kind of testing your 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 views on. Uh, how these things go. And I can talk about Kubernetes versus Temporal as well if you want. But um, I think that there's always going to be a layer where running AI models just does not make sense. Uh, and operating systems, and Kubernetes is essentially an operating system for the cloud. Yeah. Operating systems are, you know, we have 40, 50 years of history and we know how to do these, this kind of stuff generically. Um, I don't think we should throw that away. I don't think it will go away. Um, I think this stuff will probably require a different type of Kubernetes. Again, because Kubernetes has optimized for compute. And we don't know how to, I don't know. I don't think we will ever see a custom resource definition for GPUs or, or whatever that scales them appropriately for serverless uh, types of, types of uh, expectations. Um, so there may be new Kubernetes that is sort of AI needed, right? Someone, someone's going to come along and like, I'm going to rewrite everything in Rust. Right, and then <laughs> <laughs> most and likely that will happen. This is AI native, right? Uh, and that might be a real threat, right? Because uh, they they just take these the demands of these kinds of new startups more seriously than Kubernetes, which still has to serve its existing user base, right? So that is called the innovators' dilemma, which 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 will happen. Um, and but like, who cares? I mean, uh, still you're not going to run your orchestration by AI. I, I I think that that is probably an overkill because we want these systems to be a very explainable, right? Mm -hmm. Like when things go down, when things, um, we want, and that is, that is a core bug or feature of AI, which is um, we don't know why they do what they do uh, by definition, especially if you're doing deep learning. Uh, and some, and for some, in some level, you don't want to know. Um, so that's not very good when it comes to systems which, require like four nines of reliability. Mm. Actually just, yeah, I think it's useful to think about use cases in terms of nines of reliability, right? Um, zero nines and up to one nine, I think is good for AI. And then two nines and above, I think you need to write, write code. Absolutely. Uh, it needs <laughs> to be like predictable, right? Um, yeah. and, and react reliable. Um, so good. I, I just thought like about like, how it will evolve when everything runs on the edge, right? But um, like, because I can hardly imagine that this will continue in the way we 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 work right now with Kubernetes and stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> Kubernetes will be threatened by other types of um, options. Um, so, for example, uh, Solomon Hikes, uh, you know, famously had this comment about Docker, right? That um, if WebAssembly had existed when he was writing Docker, he wouldn't have written Docker, mm. right? 
Um, so okay, if we get rid of containers, or if we get if we switch to a new kind of container that is that is uh, uh, that is much light, lighter weight, then does Kubernetes have a role anymore? I don't know. So, uh, what would you recommend to CDOs um, on 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 how to on, on, on your best perspective of 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 uh, infrastructure and 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 how to en enhance their view um, on those topics? If if they right now are, let's say, fully focused on Kubernetes and operating in the cloud, like uh, how will that change? I think it's. Um... I don't think it's wise to change your core infrastructure so quickly. <laughs> At the same time, you should have the capability of running experiments that are cheap, right? So it's something on the order of, hey, 75% of your time, you're still doing what you were always doing or you thought you would be doing five years ago, two, three years ago. Use boring technology that works, that is well-documented, that we know how to pay for support. And when something goes wrong, we know how to complain people, complain to people, we know how to hire people, all that stuff, right? Um, and then about 25% of your time, you should be also like... So don't re-platform. Uh, <laughs> don't re-platform, exactly. This is very well tried and tested technology that yeah. you would be, you'd be doing a bad job if you said rewrite everything, right? Because then your business um, might come to a halt or uh, you might start failing a lot and you have no idea what's going on in your, in your business and you, are, you would be a bad CTO in, in, my, in my estimation. Um, that said, you will also be a bad CTO to completely ignore everything that's going on right now, right? So I, I think there's some amount of just balance that you have to do as a, 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 that is appropriate for like what your the job of your uh, your company is doing for your customer. You know, like is there an, is there an opportunity here to take advantage of these new technologies to serve your customer better? That is your job as a CTO. Um, is your are your, are your competitors also doing a, a better job of incorporating? Uh, AI into 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 their, in their their products. You should be on top of that as well. Uh, unfortunately, right? As much as, he, as people tell you to ignore competition, um, the competitive environment here is huge. Um, you know, Adobe coming out with something, and then uh, Canva coming out with something else, and you know, every, every like Microsoft and Google fighting every single day and hosting competing conference and press media events side by side. If Microsoft and Google are in an existential battle with each other, you should be looking out as well competitively. Like the competitive environment has been so much like, I, I think I definitely think like in the zero interest rate environment, everyone was like very free and easy. Everyone could focus on work-life balance. Everyone could focus on like, here's what I think about uh, career ladders and all that and OKRs and none of that matters now, right? Like how are you serving your customer? Yeah, and and how can you do that better? Yeah. <laughs> how can you optimize that? Okay, um, thanks a lot. <laughs> so we we slowly have to come to the end. Um, and I, as you seem to be like really a tool guy, like you seem to discover crazy amounts of tools, especially these days um, in in the in the GPT world, right? Um, What is the craziest thing or the best thing, not the craziest thing you recently <laughs> discovered that, that, let's say, makes you more productive in, in your day-to-day? -day? Um, so I, 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 will, I will talk nonstop about Copilot. I think that is a very good uh, <laughs> thing as well. Um, I will give a shout out to Warp, warp.dev. So that is a Rust-based uh, new terminal 
uh, that is pretty easy to adopt because it's just a terminal. You know, you're, you're, you're familiar with terminal. Um, I would say the privacy conscious people should uh, try to keep a lookout for how to turn off the telemetry because people, some people have issues. It, it is a startup, so it, it tries to get telemetry, but I think you can turn it off. But it has an AI feature that's really useful, which is anytime you want to do something in the terminal and you don't, you don't really know how to like look up the flags for like FFmpeg or uh, write, you know, aux scripts or bash, you know, for loops and anything like that. Uh, it has a command where you just do control tilde and um, you just write it in English and it will translate it for you into the appropriate commands. Guess what? <laughs> I use that 10 times a day. It's great. <laughs> I write so much more bash now because I don't need to learn bash. I mean, I, I know I know a bit of bash, but like I don't have to memorize it, right? Like stop putting this into your head and let the AI figure it out. These are all very commoditized nonsense that you, you should just let it handle, right? I, I think that is uh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm also very interested in scheduling tools. Um, so there's um, there's a, there's a wave of uh, calendar scheduling startups that uh, you know are able to read your email conversations and when you forward it to them and help propose times, book meetings in your calendars. Just invisibly get out of your way and stop with all the the boilerplate routine stuff that we see time and time again. So uh, there's there's tons of tools like that, um, you know, and and we're discovering new ones every single day. I'm very excited for for the programmers in the room. I'm very excited by the ChatGPT. Develop uh, Python interpreter plugin is what they call it. Uh, it's not released yet. I haven't tried it personally myself, but I've seen some videos, and I think it is a new combination of notebook and repo. Um, it is a new form of literate programming that we've never seen before. And if you care about literate programming and fast iteration and types of programming environments that are not the IDE, I think that this is going to shock you. So you should look at the Python interpreter plugin. Okay. Um, and in which scheduling um, solution did you, did you recommend? Uh, honestly, there are a lot. Um, I guess, like, currently I use SavvyCal for my, my personal one, but the, the AI-enabled ones are not released yet. Uh, they're actually uh, startups ah, okay. that have been shown uh, to me in hackathons. Um, okay. But it, it is obviously the way that these, these things are going to go. You want to you copy your AI assistant, and then it just sets up the meeting. You know, no okay. more back and forth. So th this all uh, makes me want to sleep for three three months and then just wake up again and <laughs> see what yeah. happened to the world. Or you could build it, right? There's a lot of investment money waiting for you if you if you have a, if you want to you know try something with a startup idea. Yeah. Um. There's no there's there's a lot of interest in San Francisco at least yeah. in this kind of stuff. So build it, see, solve your own problems with it. You know, I'm I'm very interested in like a personal therapy journal. You know. I don't like talking to a therapist because I think a therapist is another human that has problems, but I don't mm -hmm. mind talking to an AI and telling, telling the AI <laughs> my problems. The AI doesn't judge me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so much interesting ideas that, that drop out there. Um, so um, like uh, talking about the future, um, maybe a little bit more about the past. I, I still have a little surprise for you. So um, <clears throat> Sam Altman actually uh, told me about like a hidden feature, a hidden plugin uh, in the new ecosystem. Um, it's it's called Time Machine, and it actually allows us to travel back in time um, just just using ChatGPT. And I now hit the prompt uh, that I wanna 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 see yourself like 10 years ago, and um, it now lets us travel back in time um, to the year 2010, let's say. Um, what, what did you do back then? 
I was graduating from college. Okay, great. And I had just decided that. So I, I was a government scholar, and、uh, I'm from Singapore, and that means you have to kind of go back and work in the civil service. And I went to work in a central bank, and that was my first big career mistake of my life.、Uh, We can talk about that later, but yes, that was that's what I was doing back then. I was in a completely different career. I was already interested in technology, but I did not see myself as a technical person or as a developer. And then I spent the next thirteen years fixing that. Okay,、um, and if you had the chance to now whisper something into young Sean's ears, what what would it be? Believe in yourself. When your gut telling gut is telling you that everyone else is wrong, you are not the problem. They are. Okay, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so, thanks a lot. Nice conversation. Really, like lots of stuff happening right now, and、um, let's 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 pick this conversation up in a few months, and、uh, maybe、oh, maybe have another one. <laughs> I'm sorry for、It's, it being so AI AI focused. No, <laughs> no, no. I love like, that. I absolutely love that. Happy <laughs> to talk about temporal and data pipelines and all the other stuff that I've done, right? But you know, obviously, AI is very hot.、So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very hot. You have to talk about it. <laughs> thanks a lot, Sean.、Um, have、Thank、a great、you. day.、Uh, hope to thanks, see you、Toby. soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Arcelist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. Arcelist is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions. To CTO at alphalist.com, send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or, as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.